Hey guys, welcome back to Season 2 of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast, where we dive deep into stories of Asian entrepreneurs around the world. Be sure to check out our book, Uplifted, Journeys of Abundance, Community, and Identity, and check out our directory and marketplace at AsianHustleNetwork.com. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. If you like this podcast, don't forget to leave a five-star review. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network Podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Elle Liu. Elle is the founder and CEO of Eucalypso, a modern, sustainable eucalyptus bedding company. Eucalypso makes the world's softest and coolest sheets from 100% natural eucalyptus fibers from the perfect combination of pampering, breathable, and eco-friendly. Prior to Eucalypso, Elle graduated from Princeton University and worked as a product manager in the fintech industry. She scaled Eucalypso to seven figures in two years while working a full-time job, and she now works on Eucalypso full-time. Elle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here. We're so excited to hear your story today, Elle. So let's hop right into it. I really want to know about your upbringing. What was it like? And did you kind of grow up in like a very entrepreneurial family environment? Or did you kind of just have this entrepreneurial mindset like some random time? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So I grew up, I'm an only child with my parents who immigrated from China. They were both professors of engineering, specifically computer science in China. And they came here and because if you can tell from the fact that they were professors, I would not consider a very entrepreneurial family environment or anything like that. They always taught me to work really hard. We kind of grew up pretty, I guess, middle to like low income. And so I really appreciated any opportunities that was given to me and opportunities to work hard and to kind of make something of myself. And so I I would say that I had a pretty traditional Asian American upbringing, really supportive parents who prioritize education and prioritize hard work. And so even after I had graduated college, I, you know, got a full-time job in a corporate space, really enjoyed my job. And my parents never really kind of taught me to be an entrepreneur never really pushed me in that direction. And so it was always really interesting for me when I hear other people tell their upbringing story about parents who were self-starters or who were entrepreneurs, and they always knew they were going to be an entrepreneur. They had a lemonade stand or were selling things when they were in school. And that was just not how I was at all. I very much enjoyed the comfort of a full-time job, of a corporate job, and never really saw myself as someone who would be an entrepreneur. So I think my career kind of took a very interesting and unexpected turn. But um, going back to my family, I'm really grateful because my parents, even though they didn't really kind of instill the entrepreneurial spirit in me, were very supportive of my pursuits and my dreams. And even today still help me with aspects of the business 
And so I'm very appreciative of that. Oh, wow. I love that so much. And it's a little bit rare because for a lot of families and Asian communities, you know, we are always taught to go into certain roles and we have expectations from our parents to have like a very stable job as like a lawyer or, you know, an accountant or a pharmacist or doctor. But I'm so happy to hear that your parents were, you know, very supportive of you no matter what your passion was. But we know that, you know, you were working in the fintech space and it sounds like you did enjoy, you know, working in the fintech space, but you had this, you know, idea of, you know, starting your own business. Where did the idea come from? And, you know, how did it kind of transpire? Yeah. So I was, like you said, working in my fintech job as a product manager. And for me, I was just kind of really focused on my wellness and how I was, you know, how my health was because my job was pretty difficult. And there was a lot of focus on myself to really kind of focus on my personal wellness level and whatnot. And so one of the focus there was on sleep. And so something I had recognized about myself is that I wasn't really sleeping very well because I'm a very hot sleeper, which I think a lot of people are actually have discovered, which is quite interesting. But I would get very sweaty at night, which is very unpleasant. And on top of that, I had discovered that I would wake up and I would have these random breakouts, you know, and I was using really nice skin cream and had this 10-step skincare and whatnot. So I actually went and spoke to my dermatologist and asked her, you know, what's the situation? Why am I still breaking out? Does she know why I'm a hot sleeper? And is that impacting my skin conditions? And she was telling me to actually look into the sheets that I was sleeping in because cotton sheets can actually be woven to trap sweat bacteria. And so as we all know, heat rises, you know, and so when you're sleeping, your body releases heat. And if you have sheets on top of you that's covering you and it's not letting the heat through, it's going to create things like night sweats. It's going to harbor bacteria and cause things like acne breakouts. And that's kind of when I got the inspiration to try to find an alternative, really just for myself and my own sleep patterns, to find something that was more breathable, that was better for the skin, and also ideally something that was more eco-friendly than cotton, because I'd also discovered that cotton is one of the dirtiest and thirstiest crops. It uses a lot of pesticides and water to grow. And so I kind of set out on an adventure to kind of look into fabrics and textile and see what other options there were. And when I had discovered eucalyptus tensile, which is what we use for our sheets, I thought that was a really great alternative. It's very cooling. It's pampering on the skin. It's eco-friendly. It really covered all of these things that I was looking for. And so I just thought it was something that other people might be interested in as well. So that's kind of my discovery process and how I got into it. But it really kind of stemmed from my own issues that I was experiencing. That's crazy. It's I mean, I feel like right now we're living in an era where everyone is getting into self-care and mm-hmm. trying to like figure out ways of, like how they could sleep better, how they can make their skin and hair better. But I feel like you're like way before your time and like you I knew exactly like what to look for. You like went to see like what the problem was, like, why am I not sleeping well? There was this article that I recently read how, you know, obviously we, there's global warming happening right now and mm-hmm. it's just getting hotter and hotter every year. Right. And so this article is saying how like a lot of people who are living in very hot climates are going to get worse sleep nowadays than people who are living in colder climates. And they mentioned how like it's proven that you get worse sleep when you're hot rather than when you're cold. So it's like better to have just like your AC on when you're sleeping rather than like blasting the heater, which is like something that we normally think about like, oh, I want to be warm when we're sleeping, right? But it's actually better to be cold or like at least a little bit cool. 
And I've also been like seeing a lot of TikTok videos of seeing like people saying how like it's bad to be sleeping in cotton. But it's just so widely known and like sold in stores to have like cotton sheets. It's like the first thing we think about, like, oh, I'm going to buy bed sheets. And exactly the most available thing is cotton. So it's like it's it's just something really interesting and something to think about. But yeah, yeah. it's kind of it's kind of fascinating because if you think about it, cotton is something that we use as sheets for hundreds of years now, right? All the way back to the Egyptians. And so if you think about developments in te- in general technology, right? But also fabric technology, there's so many better alternatives than something that your great, 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 great grandmother, grandfather used. And so I just think that it's kind of interesting that we still go to this thing that is kind of antiquated, if you think about it, when there's so many other better options, even besides eucalyptus, just... There's so many other alternatives that's kind of wonderful in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. So as we mentioned in your bio, you scaled Eucalypso to seven figures in two years while you were working. That is insane. (laughs) I would love to know, like, what was that experience like? Like, how did you, first of all, manage your time? Because I'm sure it was, you know, such a, an experience just juggling two different things at the same time. And when did you really know that it was the right time to make that jump to leave your full-time job and put all of your focus into Eucalypso? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, a lot of working a full-time job and running, you know, a company on the side is all about efficiency with time. It's the first thing that I look at is I look at. And the other reason why kind of the reason why I decided to keep working my job full-time for so long is one, because I, I just really loved it. I enjoyed my job a lot. I loved the people that I worked with, the companies I were with, I thought was just fantastic. And so it wasn't really ever a situation where I was like, I really hate my job and I need to step away. It was kind of the opposite where I had a hard time stepping away from my job because I really enjoyed what I did and I love the security of it as well. And so that's the other aspect is kind of the financial security. And I think we can talk about that a little bit later as well. It's about looking at cash flow, which I think is so fundamental to starting a business. And so for those two reasons, I just felt like it was a really great idea to keep working my job while I was still scaling Eucalypso. Because for me, and I think for a lot of people, when you are starting your company for the first time, you don't really know where it's going to go, right? A lot of side gigs, they kind of fizzle out. Some of them kind of plateau. Some of them don't really go anywhere. And so that's definitely a very certain possibility, at least within the first year or two. And so for me, I really wanted to make sure that I knew that it was actually going to go somewhere, that it was something I can scale. And it was something that, you know, had legs and that could just kind of grow. And so while I was working in tech, I would wake up early in the morning to work on Eucalypso. A lot of that was just checking email, making sure that I kind of got the day started. And then for the rest of my eight-hour day, I would just be working full-time on my full-time job, which I was working as a product manager. And that was a really interesting experience as well because I felt like it lends itself really well to entrepreneurship. But it was something I love to do because I worked with so many different people and the products that I was building was super interesting as well. And then so after I would finish my job, I usually go work out for an hour or so. And then I focus back on Eucalypso for the rest of the night. And even though it sounds like it's a lot, I think for me, it really didn't feel like that because both with my tech job as a PM, as well as with Eucalypso, they were things that I both really enjoyed doing. So I never really saw it as, you know, oh my God, I can't believe I have to like work until so late tonight. It was just something that I felt like 
just kind of something I like to do. I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, so now I'm done work. Can't wait to work on Eucalypso and all of these things. And the other thing I will say is I got really good at automating a lot of things. So I think the hardest part about kind of starting it, well, there's a lot of hard things. So one of the most tedious things about starting a business is just setting up the foundations for a lot of things. So creating your Google Ads account or figuring out how to run a Facebook ad. That's the most tedious part. And then once you have it running, there are things that can kind of run in the background, you know? So if I have a really hard day at work, I don't feel obligated to spend another three or four hours or whatever it is working on Eucalypse. So I know that things are running and that's something I can kind of put on the back burner until I have more time. So that's kind of how I managed to work a full-time job for so long while still running Eucalypse. And through time, things just kind of grew. I think as you learn to automate things, you kind of can tackle more things and add on to it and really kind of just get the ball rolling until you feel like it's a good time to step away, which I can also talk more about if you like as well. Yeah, I would love to hear about that. But I just wanted to point out, like, I love the fact that you woke up early in the morning to work on Eucalypso for a, for a little bit, because I feel like oftentimes a lot of people who want to start a side hustle or start a business while they're still working a full-time job, they'll go to their full-time job, you know, nine to five, they'll mm-hmm. go to their full-time job first at nine. But then at the end of the day, it gets so tiring that, you know, it's hard for you to push yourself to work on your side hustle after you get off work, right? But for you, you like started your day early, you started working on Eucalypso in the morning, and then and, you know, at the same time, like you could finish anything that you didn't finish in the morning at night. And being like a product manager, like you, those kind of like duties kind of like intertwined with each other, like the things that you learned on the job, being a product mm-hmm. manager, you could also apply it to Eucalypso as well and building a company. So I could like really tell that you're very passionate about your business, which is like so important because if you're not passionate about it, it's really hard for you to push yourself to do that, right? But yeah, like, please proceed. I want to learn about, you know, like that whole experience of like making that jump and, and what that was like. Yeah, absolutely. So I think this kind of goes back to a little bit of what I was talking about with cash flow. I think it's something that a lot of people or entrepreneurs don't really stress enough when they're starting out. People think about the ideas. They think about the execution. They think about marketing, all of these big ideas or small granular things. And cash flow is essentially the backbone of your business, right? That's why people, they either bootstrap it or they go out and they seek funding. But essentially, you can have the best idea in the world and you can run the best marketing campaigns in the world. But if you don't have any money to back it up, then it's, it's nothing. It's not a business. And I just think that is something that, I mean, it sounds very obvious when you talk about it. Obviously, you need money to start a business. But when you're kind of in the weeds of things, it's not really something that you're super focused on. And it's definitely something that wasn't brought up to me. And so for me, I made the decision early on to fund my own business, to essentially bootstrap it. And I knew that in order to do that, I needed to have cash flow to keep things running. And so that was one of the reasons also why I stayed in my job for so long was because I needed to make sure that I was making enough money to support myself in case Eucalypso doesn't go well. And also I wanted to have enough money that I can keep growing and scaling the business. And so every dollar that went into that I took from my paycheck for myself went into Eucalypso. And every dollar that Eucalypso made, I put it back into the business. And so for me, the decision to walk away from my full-time job was really one, I felt like I was at a good stopping point 
with the product that I, the tech product I was building as a PM. So in terms of just timeline, I don't ever feel comfortable walking away while in the middle of building something. I just felt like the timing was right. And also on the cash flow front, I felt like I was finally at a time where I had enough of my savings that I felt comfortable, you know, I wasn't going to be starving anytime soon. And that Eucalypso was at a point of growth where I can essentially keep investing the money from Eucalypso to scale and to grow without having to worry about taking outside funding or anything like that. And so for me, the timing just felt right. It felt like I was, um, you know, making enough money that things kind of made enough sense. And the other thing I'll cover there is I think a lot of founders, when they start, they kind of use the gauge. It's like when I make enough money from my business that that covers, that matches the salary I was making as at a full-time job, right? And so that's kind of my initial idea. But what I came to discover is that it, it doesn't really measure up like that because you need to consider things like social security, like healthcare, like all of these intangibles that a full-time job provides as well as estimated taxes and all of those things. And so, so, so you really have to kind of consider, you know, at what level that is, because I think a lot of people say, for instance, you made, you make a hundred K your full-time job as a salary, right? It's not that once your business matches the revenue of a hundred K, that's not when you walk away. And I think that's when a lot of people think they're like, this is time for me to walk away. That's not the time or me for them. So they can walk away at that time if they want. But a lot of times it doesn't really match up like that. And so you really have to like know the fundamentals of your business, of how much money you're making, how much you're paying people and all of those things and kind of figure out when that um, break even point is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think like it's you really can't compare those two because there's so much overhead cost that goes into your business and just running exactly. it every single day that you have to take that into consideration. Right. And like if you reach 100K revenue, it's like there's so much that goes into the cost of just running that business that, you know, whatever you're left with at the end, like it's so much less than what you were to get for from your actual totally. salary. So those are all really, really good tips. That's incredible that you bootstrapped it. And now you're still bootstrapping it today. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Wow, that's that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I'm very impressed. Like that, that's amazing because I think a lot of people, as like first time entrepreneurs, like they, it's a lot of times they don't know, like you know, whether they should bootstrap or they should, you know, find funding. And there's no like wrong or right way to do anything, right? But like obviously, when you're taking on funding, you're gonna have to like. There's a lot of that focus that you need to like apply to your investors and. You know, it's really hard to focus on your actual product sometimes, especially as like as a solo entrepreneur, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that you were able to like find whatever worked best for you and, you know, have that time to focus on your product and business. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that because that was a conscious decision that I made in the very beginning, which is difficult because when you're starting a business, you don't really know what kind of decision you're making. Yeah. But I, I, I struggle with the thought. I think this is for probably a year, whether I wanted to go out and raise VC funding or if I wanted to use my own money and kind of see where it goes. And the other thing that kind of played into my decision as well is that I was one of the first in the U.S. market with eucalyptus sheets. And so this was kind of before it became a bigger thing. And so I knew that if I wanted to get the advantage, the market advantage, I should really seek out funding. But for me, exactly like you said, it kind of changes the nature of what you do as a founder. I really wanted to build something and to create something 
similar to in my PM role where I'm building a product, I'm working with teams, I'm really very hands-on with something rather than working more of a sales role where I'm going out there or I call it kind of sales managerial role where you're both fundraising and kind of pitching all the time and then managing other people to build and do all these things. And for me, that wasn't something that appealed to me about what being an entrepreneur is. And so that's kind of something that played into my role as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's talk about that because I'm assuming at that time when you were starting Eucalypto, not many people knew about the benefits of eucalyptus bedding, right? It was probably a very like unfamiliar concept to a lot of people because they'll buy the first thing that they see at you know Target or the store that they go to. What was your marketing strategy like at the time? And how were you able to like educate your target audience about the benefits of eucalyptus bedding and sheets? And like, how did you get your first customers? Yeah, that's a great question. That was actually something that I struggled a lot with because I think with something like eucalyptus sheets, there is, like you said, a huge edu- educational component to it. And it's really hard to educate people of something that they never heard about, right? Or that they don't know anything about. And so this is at a time when people really only knew about cotton sheets. Eucalyptus sheets doesn't really kind of register even as something that exists. And on top of kind of being like, okay, this is eucalyptus sheets. And also on top of that, there's all of these benefits to it. The education part was kind of a really long list, which is interesting because compared to now where I think people know it a little bit more. I remember our original ads had so many educational components. There was so much copy on it. There was so much things like about staff. And now we, for the most part, just say eucalyptus sheets and people kind of recognize what that is. There's just so many different benefits to our eucalypso product that it makes it kind of difficult with storytelling. That, and that's something that I had struggled with when I first started the company is that you can inundate people with information, right? And so, like I said, our sheets are eco-friendly, which is wonderful. They're 10 times more sustainable than cotton sheets, but they're also incredibly soft. And so they're wonderful for people who are hot sleepers. And they're pampering for people who have acne prone or sensitive skin. So there's all of these value props. And I find that when you kind of put them all up front, you kind of lose people. They're like overwhelmed by all of this information. And so that was something that we had really struggled with was how do we tell the story of Eucalypso without overwhelming people or losing people's interest. And that was kind of a marketing mistake we made early on was just doing too much storytelling, too much education and not enough focus. And so since then, we've learned to kind of distill it into specific stories, right? So for certain people, we'll tell you that it's cooling. Or for certain people, TikTok, for instance, there's a lot of young millennials and Gen Zs who really care about their skin and skincare will kind of lead with a lot of the skin benefits. And then so so we've kind of learned to distill it. But yeah, I would say that when you're asking about the marketing strategy, I think that our strategy has changed significantly from when we started where it was a lot of education, a lot of overwhelming information to now we kind of have that streamline distilled, a lot more simplistic so that people can really understand the product and understand, you know, at a very basic level, some of the benefits. Oh, that's, that's incredible. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the first times that I've heard that, that like too much storytelling is also bad, right? I guess like too much of everything is like, it can become risky because a lot of people say, that when you put a story behind your product, that's how you kind of like reel your audience in. But because there's so many benefits to you with this bedding that it might be just too much, right? Like maybe I'm not the target audience for it. Like, oh, mm-hmm. if someone doesn't have acne, like, oh, this product probably doesn't apply to me, right? Exactly. But then you were able to kind of like 
find probably the two or three or four biggest problems that people are experiencing mm-hmm. and hone in on your target audience there. So I really, really like that strategy. Yeah, it's also interesting because I think through time, we also kind of learn what people prioritize and don't prioritize. And so for me, for instance, when I start, first started, started Eucalypso, I thought it's value pop is that it's super sustainable, right? We do everything in a closed loop process where we reuse and recycle essentially 99% of everything that goes into it. And I thought that was just super cool. Like it took me as for, as part of the supply chain and finding a manufacturer in the middle, that was like a huge focus of mine because I wanted to make sure things were as sustainable as possible. But then as we go to market, I realized that people don't really actually care that much about the sustainability. It's definitely something that's really nice and definitely a lot of people do care about it. But I find that it's not the thing to lead marketing with because people just, it's, it's nice, but it's not the deal breaker as to like the tipping point to make someone buy something. So yeah, it's, it's just kind of interesting that as we know our customers better and as we know our product better and how to better tell the story, we've changed our story a lot in terms of what we lead with and then what we kind of follow with. Yeah. But I love that you have that component as well, because I feel like nowadays people are really trying to learn more about the transparency and where their products are coming from and the, where, where they're mm-hmm. being sourced, where the money is going towards. And I know that for Eucalypso, that is very, very important to you, right? And I read in an article somewhere that a portion of the proceeds that you get, you donate it to a nonprofit organization that's maybe mm-hmm. relevant at the time. So I want to hear about that and you know how you make sure that your, your target audience and your customers know exactly where your product is being sourced and where their money is going towards. Yeah, for sure. So I'm a consumer myself. And so for me, when I look at other companies... At the time, that was something that was really lacking. And there were a few companies who was doing it. And I remember, for instance, Everlane was one of them that was really transparent and upfront about, you know, what their material costs are, where it's being sourced from. And I really love that. I really enjoy that because I think it's super important to know kind of the impact of what you're buying and where it's coming from. And so I made sure that as part of Eucalypso, we told that part really clearly, right? We made sure to kind of really break down exactly where things are milled from, which is Austria, and where we're getting sourcing the the dyes and the fibers and where it's getting manufactured from and what the entire supply chain looks like. Because I think having that level of transparency is really important so that people understand kind of at its core level how things are made. But also something that I noticed has been huge is kind of greenwashing. And we just want to make sure that we don't just say, oh, sustainably made, like, have fun, good luck, like, this is going to be really great. Like, we break down exactly, like, kind of what goes into our sheets and where it's coming from and why it's sustainable and all of those things. You also and, tell the audience, like, what greenwashing is, too, for, like, anyone who doesn't know. Yeah, absolutely. So greenwashing is kind of the idea that some product will be sold as something that is organic and eco-friendly only in order to use those things as marketing. And it's not actually, doesn't really have any information to back up the fact that they are eco-friendly or that they're sustainable. And it's becoming increasingly popular because the appetite for eco-friendly product has has grown significantly in the consumer mindset. And so for a lot of people, when they see you know, some something that's packaged and it says eco-friendly or vegan. They're like, yeah, amazing. Like, I'm doing such a great job. But they don't really know the story behind how it's made. And it's just simply something that's put on packaging to sell. And so that's kind of what eco-friendly is. And that's something that we try to avoid as much as possible because we 
you know, we put a lot of work into our supply chain to make things as eco-friendly as possible. And when you say eco-friendly, it's not just the way things are made, but also impacts the cost and the timeline, right? And so for reason, for that reason, our products are going to be more expensive than the sheets that you find at Target or Walmart because the material cost is higher, because the labor cost is higher, because the quality of the products that we find is higher and also impacts our timeline where you know, often sold out on some of our most popular product because we make things slowly. We make things in small batches. And so it takes a long time for us to restock something as opposed to, you know, something that's closer to fast fashion or something like that, where next month they'll have something new. And yeah. so for us, that's how sustainability kind of plays a role into what we do. And we make that transparent. So if you go on our website, we kind of lay out, you know, every step along the way from where the eucalyptus is sourced to the final step of where our warehouse is to ship to you. Yeah, I was just going to ask that next question, like considering all the benefits that there are for eucalyptus bedding, like why do you think they're like large corporations don't sell or market eucalyptus sheets more? And like the cotton is like more widely known and sold, but you just answered it. And, you know, there's a lot of time and cost and effort and dedication that goes into it. And like fast fashion, like they they just don't have the capacity for that. But that's just really interesting to, to know. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I do want to shift the focus a little bit and kind of focus on you. What were the ups and downs of being like a first time entrepreneur, especially as a minority woman entrepreneur? Did you have any struggles or, you know, experiences where it was just a little harder for you to go into market? Or um, was it, you know, fine for you being a minority woman entrepreneur? Yeah, so that's a really wonderful question. I feel like something that has really helped is the fact that I decided to bootstrap my company. And so I, for the most part, haven't really experienced a lot of the setbacks that both minority and women typically sees in this industry. And I especially hear this being played out in kind of fundraising or raising money is kind of the setbacks and challenges that a lot of women and a lot of minority tends to face because of um, the nature of kind of how I started the company and how I chose to grow it. It's actually hasn't been too bad. I think I've kind of isolated myself for a, a little bit of that, which has been really, really nice. And in fact, it's actually allowed me to grow my company in a way where all of my, my entire team are all women. Most of us are minority. And so that's something that I really look for. And it's really important to me because, you know, I don't want to be subject to other people's whim. I don't want to be subject to investors' whims and thoughts about, you know, the company, my decisions, my hiring decisions, things like that. And so I will say that that's a benefit in that I haven't really had to come under the scrutiny or, you know, really face any sort of discrimination in any way because I'm an Asian woman. But on the other side, I will say that one of the hardest part is that I don't really have guidance. I don't have the support of people who has grown a company or who has funded a company that's grown a lot. And so a lot of the way I'm kind of just figuring things out myself. And it's it's incredibly difficult because of that. I don't really have a lot of, you know, the support or the guidance that I think would have been really awesome to really have leaned on. But, you know, I guess the, the trade is that the trade off is that despite not having that, I guess I have the liberty to make my own decisions and to make my own mistakes as well and to kind of figure things out for myself. So yeah, that's what I will say about that. But I, I will say I've been very lucky to have been kind of isolated from 
all of those kind of forces. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, like being a, a Asian woman as an entrepreneur, like it's really hard to find support, right? But as everyone always knows, like being an entrepreneur, you always will get a lot of different opinions and mm-hmm. and critique as well. Like there's going to be a lot of people who will tell you like how to run your business. And it's really important to be able to like step back and think for yourself because you know your business the best, right? Yep. And exactly. you know the ins and outs, you know, like how you operate it and manage it every single day. So you know what's best for your own business. And I'm glad that you were able to see that and really, really think for yourself and like what is the best way to go about, you know, running Eclipso. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of interesting because now that you mentioned that, I do remember this one time. And I wonder if this is because I'm, I'm a woman or if this is something that kind of people would experience. But I was, this is while I was still working my full-time job. And one of my coworkers was like, actually, I think a lot of people get this. One of my coworkers was like, oh, how's that little business of yours doing? And I just remember thinking in my mind, like, I am making more in my business than I am at this job. I'm at this job because I love the people I work with. I love my team. I want to see this project through. But it's certainly not a little business. But I never said that. I was just very... Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, oh, I'm sorry. You had to have that comment. I mean, maybe she didn't have any, like, malintent to it. But yeah, when when someone says little, it's like... I think it's a little bit bigger than little. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so nowadays, are your parents still supportive of your decision and the route that you took to leave your full-time job to do it so full-time? Yeah, definitely. They've been super supportive since the, since the very beginning, which to be quite on- honest, I was very surprised with because I come from a traditional Asian family. They're quite conservative in a lot of ways, quite risk averse, which I am as well. And so I actually didn't think they were going to be on board with me starting this or doing this, but they were, and they have been doing things that are really supportive. So even when I started Eucalypso, I spent over a year just traveling around countries, talking to different mills and manufacturers. And so we went to like Portugal and Mexico and all, and Austria and all of these different places. And when I was going to go to China, my dad was like, I'll come with you. I can help you communicate and all of those things, all of those little ways that were just really supportive and helpful. And even today, they helped me run a lot of my supply chain. They I actually have employed my mother. So that's super exciting. So yeah, it's, it's been really nice. And they've been very, very helpful in a lot of different ways. So I'm really glad to kind of, to kind of see that part of them. And to have experienced it. And my dad is actually really interesting. He actually admitted to me at one point that he's always wanted to start his own thing. But his big jump was coming to America. And so I thought that was kind of cool. It made me feel like I'm kind of like living out his entrepreneurial dreams, which is kind of nice. <laughs> That's so exciting. I think for a lot of parents, for a lot of immigrant parents, like they they don't understand all the time, like what we're trying to do, especially when mm-hmm. we're becoming an entrepreneur, right? And exactly. But they still support us any way that they know how, right? And exactly. it's like yeah. when Brian and I, we were doing Asian Hustle Network and we left mm-hmm. our full-time jobs to do AHN full-time, like my parents didn't understand, you know, like what AHN was or like how you could possibly make money from, you know, social media and exactly. online. But mm-hmm. like last week, I just visited my father and he like would stick like an AHN sticker on his storage tool oh, wall. So and I was just like, oh, that's so sweet. Like, that is so sweet. Yeah. And it's just really interesting seeing parents like support you in exactly. any way that they know how, even if they don't fully understand like the full concept of it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is also funny because I feel like, I don't know, they, they just, Asian parents are, they tend to be conservative in a lot of ways, but yeah. sometimes they really surprise you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. 
So what is next for Eucalypso in the next, you know, five to 10 years? Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, I really want to scale the company both digitally, but I think our next step is trying to kind of bring that physical dimension to the product. So trying to potentially get in front of people more where they can actually touch it and they can feel it. That's kind of my big focus for the next year or two, because I can talk as much as I want about how soft it is, which is just incredibly soft and very cooling. But it's one of those things where... If you just see our customers' reaction, as soon as they feel it, you immediately feel the difference. And so for me, having that kind of kind of physical touch is super important. And so I want to be able to get our product in front of more people, whether that's through the form of a pop-up or, you know, getting into physical retailers or boutique stores or those things be really nice. So right now we're in over 100 boutique stores across the U.S., which is super exciting. But I definitely want to kind of make it a bigger presence so that you know, if I'm talking to you and you're like, yeah, that sounds freaking amazing. And I'm like, you know what? Tell me which state you're in, you're which city you're in. And hopefully we'll be able to get in the store next to you so that you can go and decide for yourself whether or not it's a good fit. So that's kind of my big goal for the near term future. And I think our longer goal is to just kind of build the brand, you know, make it so that people know what eucalyptus foods are, whether or not you are in New York and you see um, a lot of advertising about it, or you're somewhere where, you know, something like that's not as prevalent. I want it to be as common as cotton is so that people will actually think of it as top of mind in terms of a decision set for cotton alternative for seeking. That's so exciting. You already do a really great job at marketing it just by like looking at your website. And like, I'm also looking into alternatives for cotton and like to be able to feel it would be life-changing. Like I'm sure that (laughs) it would be a game changer. So I'm excited for when you're gonna, you know, put eucalyptus on in like retail stores and like do pop-ups and, and stuff like that. So that's exciting. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, hopefully coming to a city near you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So Elle, we have one last question for you. Yeah. And that is, if you could give one advice to an aspiring entrepreneur, mm-hmm. what would that one advice be? Ooh, I have so many advice. <laughs> so I'm just kidding. Let me think. So I think my one advice is to kind of just... I think, I think it's like a kind of talking about what I just talked about before, right? So my first advice is to just go for it and to do it. It's, things are never going to be picked. And that was some, an advice that was given to me. And I had a really hard time following it because I'm such a perfectionist. But to just go and put something out there, even if it's a landing page, if you just want to throw an ad up and see if there's any validity to what you're doing. I think so many people, they kind of wait around, they try to build it and rebuild it until it's perfect. But sometimes it doesn't have to be perfect. But I will caveat that and say, do it. But keep in mind the cash flow because, like I said, I think your funding and cash flows are the backbone of your business. So if you're ready to do it, do it. But make sure that you have your finances figured out. Make sure that you have enough of a stream of money coming in to be able to fuel or support this dream of yours. Because I do think that there is such a thing as jumping in too early. And I think that's how a lot of people end up scrambling for money and then selling off over 50% of their company and all of these things and giving up market shares is because they haven't really figured out the financial strategy to do this. And when I say that, I don't mean build a deck or anything like that, but just know, even if it's kind of on Excel form or back of the napkin, kind of know where your cash is coming in. And if you have a good sense of that, there's, you know, just go and do it. And if it fails, you already figured out the financials, 
And hopefully it's not too painful, but chances are if you work really hard, it'll, you know, become something. And then you can quit your job, I think, after a few years. <laughs> Just <laughs> I love it. So the <laughs> highlight of this whole episode is make sure you have your cash flow in order because that really is the backbone for everything when you're starting. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. for real. <laughs> so Elle, where can our listeners find out more about you and Eucalypso online? Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to find Eucalypso, you can find us at eucalyptosohome.com and it's spelled like a combination of eucalyptus and calypso or you can find us on instagram or tiktok at eucalyptosohome and you can find me on instagram at hello lu and you can dm me and i'll say hi amazing i had an incredible time having you on the podcast today all thank you so much for sharing your story with us yeah thank you so much maggie i really appreciate it it's great talking to you oh my god Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.